clubhouse. This is Paul. This is Caroline. And welcome back, commanders, handmaidens, aunts, Marthas, wives, unpeople. <laughs> we're back, people. We're back to talk about The Handmaid's Tale. Season four, episode one. This one was called Pigs. <laughs> it's been a long time, Caroline. It sure has. I was thinking back to season three and where we left, and I was kind of looking around online, thinking about like, you know, what are questions that people were really wondering back at season three? And so I've got a couple for you, Paul. Using our extensive knowledge of season four, given this one episode, I'll do my best to answer. I was just going to list off the, the main ones and then we'll jump in. How about that? Lay it on me. Okay, of course, is June okay? I mean, we, we left them with the plane. We left her, you know, laying bit there, staring up at the sky, a la Jack and Lost. Well, not a la Jack and Lost, in that she's the star of the show and we're still midstream. So <laughs> this was one of those cliffhangers that was not really one that was, you know, was there any doubt? that she was going to survive. The question mark really is, is this going to give her some lingering issue where she's where her body doesn't act as well in the future as it used to? Mm. I mean, she says something to the effect of she took for granted that her body did what she told it to do. It was right. a vessel for her to follow her commands and an extension of her will or whatever that, that, that inner monologue was. Right. And will it behave that way now that it has a hole through it? I mean, it makes sense that it won't. <laughs> and that they solved, and that they tried to cure it with like paste and what was it, um, rotten fruit? Well, it was penicillin that they had made out of, right? Rotten fruit. Rotten fruit, right. Yep, yep. So, I mean, I thought that was very in inventive of them. Well, I mean, it's better than nothing, but, you know, as opposed to right. medical day, care. Everything. Right, everything. Right, right, right. So, I, I, you know, we're going to leave that there. Put a pin in it because obviously there's lots we have to talk about June. She's up and around, but is she okay? Questionable. Yeah. Will Serena turn on Gilead? Which I'm going to make a bigger picture and say, Serena and Fred, where are they now? Which we didn't get much of them or any of them. No. We didn't get that picture in this one, so we'll save that for our next episode. What's going to happen to baby Nicole? Now, this one was a curious one because Nicole was given to Luke and is being raised by Luke and Moira. So I'm pretty good with what's going on with the two of them. Yeah, I think whatever that little extended family is in Luke's apartment, that is Nicole's living situation at this point. How about Commander Lawrence? If he's going to be found, caught, we, we, do, we are going to deal with that in this one. That is one of my questions moving forward, actually. Yeah. Is not, I mean, yes, he was caught and he was pretty sure he was going to be sent to the wall, put to death. Right, right. Just never heard from again. But instead, Nick has some way of cutting a deal for him. So the question really is, is he looking out for himself? Is he, is he just trying to survive? Is he actually going to help with these invasion plans? I don't know. We're going to find out more. We'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that in this episode. What happens to the remaining Marthas and handmaids? Question mark. Don't know yet. Unknown. Big one. How will Aunt Lydia react to the news of the lost kids? Well, that's kind of a hilarious one because, you know, did anyone think she'd be like, oh, excellent. Fiddle dee dee. Right. I guess we'll just have to make some more kids. Right. And then, of course, the biggest one, what will June do next? 
That is going to be this entire season. I'm sure of it. So where do you want to dive in first, Paul? Do you want to go head over to Commander Lawrence and get him out of the way? Um, yeah, that's that's a good place to start because his story is very small. It's very small. It's suspenseful. They had a lot of tension going on. There was a lot going on with the lighting, camera angles. The air was heavy with anxiety the whole time. But ultimately, he talked his way out of this. I don't. It wasn't Nick. It was Commander Lawrence. I think the newly elevated Commander Nick might have had something to do with it. He could have just let that question to the other commanders just die. You know, the question of, what, what, well, what are we doing about the invasion? Are we invading? Is that a good idea? Should we do that? And all of a sudden, the architect of Gilead, who they all consider pretty smart in having done that, right. may have something worthwhile to say. And now that his life is hanging on the line... Maybe they trust him to say it. I think so. And I mean, what I meant by that is, of course, Nick obviously passed on the information. But I definitely think that Commander Lawrence is the one to applaud in terms of him realizing that he just needed to say the questions. He needed to raise them and and just kind of give this idea that like maybe he did know how to do it. Maybe he could get them out of this. And that was enough for this flailing little republic that we have here. Right. Gotta say, that was a pretty good twist there with the old barber's chair, no? Gilead, do you need such sinister barbers? I think it was pretty bizarre. (laughs) Does the barber's room need to look the same as the execution room? Now, okay, I understand that the point of the show is to have a ton of tension and for us to constantly be needing to hit up on our Lexapro, but I... I have to ask you, do you think this was like gratuitous and and sort of over the top in terms of was there any reason to make that just be a barber's chair and how that all happened? Oh, I think the reason would be that that was our POV character and he thought he was going to die. So, it, so it was basically through his eyes. Yeah. That it was it was so sinister, but really it wasn't. Yeah. Okay. Okay, I'll go with you on that one. Even the slow mo, the 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 highly you know contrasty dark darks and and, yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Even though I mean the whole episode is that way too. It's always very dark, yeah. very very dark in tone and in colors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So Commander Lawrence, I mean, for right now, his bacon's been saved. Not so much over at the farm, however. Oh boy. <laughs> The farm. Uh, Okay, so we have a new character, Esther, that comes into play here. Turns out that the handmaids have been running through the woods and have been brought to this safe home, the farm, right? And we've got this commander, Keys. Keys or Keats? Keys. Keys. Commander Keys and wife, Esther. Now, Esther is such a teeny tiny little wisp of a thing. All 15 years of her. Oh my gosh, she's so tiny. I felt instantly compelled to be like, you're a baby, just a baby. And they've made you a wife. Instantly, I wanted to kill Keese. Like, I was like, you're an evil human, right? So, I mean, the, the fact that they matched up such an old man with such a young woman is probably, I mean, it's not, it's not that he, if, oh, well, if he was 40, that'd be one thing. But it is, I mean, the gross knob does go up to 11, right? I think so. But I mean, the gross knob was like, you know, I don't think it goes back below 10 in this show. Fair enough. But I'm with you totally. 
What did you think about their their first entree onto the farm and finding this guardian? Question marks abound. Like, how is how is he involved? How do they know that he's okay? What are his motivations for being cool? Can they trust him through thick and thin? And then when we are exposed to Commander Keys, what's his deal? Because yeah. he seems completely doddering. Um, yeah, he seems super out of it. Physically sick possibly with dementia or one of those memory-related illnesses. What is his deal? And then the girl herself, Esther, am I seeing someone that is so completely riddled with trauma that that explains away her kind of erratic, I love you, I hate you kind of behavior or teenage girl stuff, or is it all just mashed into one kind of unpredictable package? I mean, no, I want to back up. I'm going to go to that Guardian first. I have a lot of questions about him, and I feel like he's not long for this world, Paul. I mean, I feel like he is somebody who... It, it, we're not getting any information. There there should have been something in this episode that explained more of who he was and how Esther can trust him. And what's, I, I just, I don't quite get it. And I feel like that's a bad omen for him. I had a kind of a longer term concern oh, about him, given the way that June passes sentence on Guardian Pogue later. Mm. And she makes a good point that I was so happy to finally hear someone invoke the name of the United States in terms of the betrayal that by and large the men surviving in Gilead either passively or actively perpetrated on the United States because they took the rights away from the women to have any voice in that at all. Right. So if you're a man there, then to some level you're complicit and if you're in that apparatus, the 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 guardians, the eyes, the commanders, especially, your complicit level goes up beyond collaborator to you brought this on. So, what is the future for the various levels of collaborator if something does happen that brings down Gilead? Chances are they're fucked anyway. There's, you know, in terms of like, mm. oh, no, he was a good collaborator. That doesn't usually work at the hanging. Mm. Okay. You know okay. what I mean? I do. I do understand. I, I just feel like, you know, when you get, I'm a big reality show girl. And I feel like if you don't give me a little bit of backstory on somebody, I'm like looking at you and I'm like giving you big eyes. Like, what is your business? And not knowing anything about him, I am very suspicious. The whole thing, very sus, not feeling great about him. <laughs> So what do you think about this farm in general? Like, do you think that this is a good hiding place for for the ladies here? Are we able to really trust the situation? I think if they were a little more cagey about the number of Marthas out in the yard at any Ooh. given time, they could probably fool drones and shit for a long time because no one notices Marthas. Well, not specific features, certainly, but numbers, you're right. If they could have just said, okay, we consistently have five out in the yard. Yeah, but deploying like 40 at a time, that's a little uh, suspicious. Right. Well, it gets harder to hide for sure. I mean, I was really pleased to see that June was up and about in this episode because I didn't know how long they were going to drag it out. So to see her actually actively being on the farm and moving around and starting to be a part of lookouts and, you know, really participating a little bit, at least talking to the other women and kind of feeling it, everything out. That felt good. From the Lydia scene, I think we can guess all this is concurrent. Yes. And yes. so it's been nearly three weeks that she's been out. That's right. 
That's right. So, so yeah, 19 days on the run thus far. Esther's relationship with the girls, again, I have a lot of question marks about because it is all over the place. You brought up her trauma and she explained everything that I thought was actually a really important point and a growing moment there for, for June especially because, you know, we have the scene with Mr. Darcy, the pig. Mm. which was very sad. And I really love the fact that there was Mr. Darcy running around out there. But when they killed it for food, and then Janine, of course, didn't want to eat her friend, Esther really wigged out, you know? Yeah. And, and I felt like it was frightening, actually, how vicious she became with Janine. So fast. Yeah. Like, her rage was, like, instant. Later, when... June is trying to say like, hey, you can't be screaming at these women. Like we've all been through a lot. Esther reveals all that's gone on with her. It was really poignant to me for her to say like wives suffer too. That was really important because you made a great point that while all the men, majority, are complicit on some level, many, many, many of the wives are not. You know, they don't want to be there any more than any other layer of women that is there. I think we actually saw June grow there a moment, Paul. Like, I think she actually was like, hey, hang on a second. Like, there's other people beyond Handmaids who are completely suffering in this. I mean, the show has fostered the idea that wives to a, a woman are also complicit. They're fine with it because they have it good, right? Right. And even even when they showed us the colonies and Emily and how they killed that wife just because she was a wife, pretty much. Yeah. This puts a new spin on that kind of judgment passing. I wonder how much they are hoping that we will take this little bit as the audience members and apply it to Serena. Because, you know, we're kind of being being given this exposition by Esther about how the wives have bad conditions, the wives are treated poorly, the wives are being forced to do these things. And simultaneously, we know that Serena is being held by the Canadian government and we know she's going to be brought up on some sort of charges at some point. So I'm wondering if they're actually laying some foundational ground for us to be a little more empathetic towards her. Might be. When the... Seasons are so spread out like this. It can be easy to forget how instrumental she was in building up. Oh, she was. I'm not confused. But here's what I'm trying to say. Esther is too small and this message is too big. It has to apply beyond Esther. And so what I'm trying to figure out is like, do they want us to apply to Serena or or is she going to, you know, or is Mayday going to start freeing wives? I don't know exactly where this is going to go, but it has to go beyond the kernel of Esther to me. We've been discussing in preparation for this podcast, different themes that we detected just in this single episode. We've already talked about the beginning of that uh, with like sacrifice in particular. I was thinking about the pig and Mm. how the pig probably is a portent of other sacrifices to come. You know, he was hard for Janine to let go. But I think that even though, you know, there was an actual human killed in this episode, I don't think that was it. (laughs) Right, 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 right. (laughs) I think we're going to be looking for a bigger pig down the line that is going to mean something to one of our main players that has to has to go um but then we also talked about the idea of kind of the blanket idea of surrogacy but even more specifically transference and we meant it specifically with esther and the mother-daughter relationship that was kind of foisted on june but what you're talking about kind of makes sense too. This this moving of well, wives got the short end in many ways. Can that same idea be transferred to 
the wife we've known this whole time, Serena Joy. And it might not be, I mean, there might be, like I said, maybe this is going to lead to some other adventure trying to save other women too. But it just, it felt like a, like a eye-opening moment of like, I know you're trying to save children. I know you're trying to save Martha's. I know you're trying to save handmaids. Who else here, you know, is suffering? And are you being wide enough with your gaze around to see how things are really going for other people? Mm Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I thought it was a really great moment. Okay, I do need to discuss Guardian Pogue because, hmm, I have a lot of question marks about what June did with Esther and what was the point of this. I'm going to throw out there that there's multiple layers to this, but I totally want to hear your POV on it. The first thing that struck me about the interaction with Guardian Pogue was even though they are handmaidens, handmaids on the run trying to escape Gilead, they at first resembled a Gileadian participation at first, Mm. where they swarmed the man and were perfectly willing to beat him to death right there as a group, which is an ironic twist because that's what they're trying to get away from. But still, it's all that pent up aggression that I guess that for whatever reason, the ants or whatever that legal system is recognized is there which is, I guess, ironic in both directions, right? That they know that it's there, so they give them the chance to do it in Gilead. But then once they're away from the Gilead laws, they still choose to do it. Follow me? Yeah. I think that, I mean, it wasn't without merit. You know, I mean, when Esther was ex- was just giving those couple of things, oh, he likes to be called Johnny. He likes the way my tongue looks when I say Johnny. They panned around the faces of the handmaids. The other women got it. They understood. Mm-hmm. I mean, they weren't just beating him for sake of beating him when he started to run they realized what this man had done to her i am more concerned about what happens next i am more concerned about how june makes esther be the one to kill him and what that's all about it seemed like gang initiation to me a little bit it did but the thing is that it seemed like june was trying to keep esther kind of out of this in a lot of ways and so I don't know. A little, it felt like she needs to get her hands bloody so that that way she doesn't turn on them. And also sort of like the way that she was really coming at June in in the courtyard and being like really angry with her and being like, you need to do more and you need to do this and we need to we need to act on all these things. It felt a lot like Esther hadn't seen battle, if you will. So it was like, well, maybe we can kind of simmer her if she had an opportunity to understand how horrible this is. We don't want to go around killing people if we don't have to. And so I felt like there was that part too, like a little bit of like a wake up call about what this is all about. Now, how this all actually turned out and how Esther ultimately took this all in, I think is more the gang side, more of like she's in with this group than anything else, I think. Yeah, like your like your first comment, the idea that once you're in, then your hands are just as bloody. So then you can't rat on the rest without without you going down yourself. It's a little silly though, because we're really using like our standards and our legal system and our everything to even talk about that. When in reality, her status as a wife, if she just said the handmaids killed them, and even if all the handmaids lined up and said, no, Esther actually did it, no one would listen to them. Yes, yeah, it's very true. So it's a little messy because I'm like, okay, like, I don't know, Paul. I'm really, really wondering what we did to Esther and if if June like broke her brain a little bit with that. That's a good question. I mean, she was already exhibiting some broken brain symptoms. With, I... and, and again, I'm not 
uh, I don't want to be overly flip about it. I do chalk a lot of that behavior up to the trauma that she suffered at the hands of the various men. And, and the fact that her parents sent her there. Yeah. Like, I can't imagine being, like, delivered to the people who would be abusing you. But then June knew that grown-up women needed to take responsibility for the way that she jumped on Alma and said that she yeah. needed to be managed. And she knew this. Yeah. So then why make her be the one to take on the responsibility of this? I hope that the more becomes clear as we move forward. I'm sure that there's other people who could, you know, lend some sort of insight into this. I, I think that there's multiple layers. I think that it shut her off from harassing June about let's do more, let's do more, let's do more. This seems to satisfy that itch for her. But then also she's kind of part of the gang now. Given that final scene in the bed, uh, there does seem to be that a, a connection now between the two that has has just jumped right over healthy. <laughs> I, I agree. I agree. Nothing is healthy about this relationship. It is very questionable, just to say the least. What do you think about that scene at the end? I mean, we have June climbing in bed. You know, she's she's all worn out. Her injury is still plaguing her. And then to have Esther come in and be covered in blood and want to cuddle with her and say, I love you. And then the big, the big moment of Connor banana. banana. Yeah. Oh, no. Like that's that transference we I was talking about a second ago. This she needs a mommy and then June needs uh, a Hannah. And this is not perfect, but this is what we got. Uh, that's all I got. I mean, I'm I'm not deep enough to fully dive into the, all these feelings, but that's I mean, what I got. I think, I mean, I think that that's right on. I think that they need each other and I think that they're finding little bits in each other that work for them, but it is really like one of those things where you like, your eyebrows go way up like, oh, I don't think this is going to be good. I also feel sad. Like, yes, I'm sure if she was Hannah, you would want her to fight and also the fact that she kind of crossed that line of protecting Esther from that, though, like she didn't say, why don't you go in the house and we'll take care of this so that you don't have yet one more trauma on your list. The fact that she included that trauma and in fact kind of forced the situation makes me be like, oh, man, I don't when you get Hannah, what's it what's going to go down here? I wonder now that now that I'm thinking about it, the idea of the th theme of sacrifice and the. To some extent, Mrs. Keys, Esther's running that farm, since Mr. Keys doesn't seem to know what planet he's on. Um, <laughs> right. So she's the one that said, Mr. Darcy, that's the pig that we're eating tonight. Yeah. So then I wonder if later on it's going to have to be Esther is the pig Ooh. that we're going to need to sacrifice. Ooh. Okay, I see that. It's a little karma too, right? In that yeah. whole mess. But man, that's some ugly, gross stuff. I mean, always, but whoo, I don't know, Paul. That's a lot. Boy, that little girl, the casting of that role, how petite she is, how tiny she is. She could not be more of a fragile, little frail looking thing. And so when she comes off and she's just so vicious, I mean, she's like junkyard dog vicious. I'm like, whoa, <laughs> everyone needs to keep that one at arm's length. Like she is ready to pop off. Well, in that way that that if you are at her mercy, 
it's almost like, yeah, we're staying here and it's, and you've opened the house and, and you're covering for us and all that. But almost in that way that it's like any second now, she could just be like, no, fuck this, whatever. I'm calling the guardians. A thousand percent. A thousand percent. Like she could just like blow a flare gun over the house and have them all there in 10 seconds. She's so, she makes me so scared. And so again, then to make her then a murderer, I, I, I feel like you're feeding the beast in a bad way. I, I don't know what June was thinking. I really don't. Gasoline on the fire. I'm a little nervous about it, to be honest with you. Before we head off, let's cover the last three Gileadians to take up screen time this week. Two of them are in Canada. Mr. and Mrs. Waterford. I'm sure she enjoys hearing herself referred to as Mrs. Waterford. I was kind of wondering if she would start trying to use like a maiden name or something. Didn't it? Yeah, yeah it, I kind of was. I mean, because she doesn't want to be called Serena and I get that because it's like too casual. But like, I kind of wanted, I, I was waiting for her to feed another name into it. Agent Twello, he's a little bit hard to figure out in that. I think that he wants to both like Serena and advocate for her, but he's not sure how to do that given what he thinks he knows, given what Commander Waterford told him that she did concerning Nick and June. So the scene where he brings them both into the same room to tell them about the the angel flight, Mm. I think his motivation is just to fuck with them. Yeah, I absolutely think he was just like stabbing the knife in a little deeper and twisting it around a little bit. Just to psych him out. The entire, I didn't know how far he was going to go. It actually surprised me that it took Serena to prompt how, who, what got them out. And then he says, oh, it was your handmaid. June, they're all offered, you know, that it was her. I mean, oh my God, like to see the two of them like burn up in flames there. Oh my gosh. I, yeah, I think gaslighting all over that place, right? What was your read on the two of them? It seemed to me, and I'm just one podcaster, that Fred was concerned that they would catch her and kill her. Whereas Serena was like, I hope they catch her and kill her. Ooh, I think Fred, to me, I guess the read I got was like that, of course it's Alfred. But like in that she's a scamp kind of way. No, not she's a scamp, but like in that, I mean, Serena was in cahoots with her during different parts. I think he's just kind of like women, you know, like, I don't think like scamp. I think like exasperation, I guess I want to say, but he didn't like flip out. It was just like, of course it was Alfred, you know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because it couldn't be anyone else, could it? Had to be right under my nose that this was happening. Yeah. Good point. Then like he didn't break her. But the way that he said they'll, they'll find her. And they'll kill her or something to that effect yeah. was a little bit more like that he didn't want that to happen to her. I'm not sure what he did want to happen to her, but I don't think that he wanted her to end up killed. That was my read. Well, that's interesting. Well, we'll have to put that in the on the bulletin board of like, what the heck with Fred? Because Serena, I think she was fine with her getting caught and killed. <laughs> well, hello. Drawn, quartered, burned. Yeah. And I mean, come on now. She She's the biological mother of the baby. She doesn't want that tie. You know, she's got a gajillion reasons why. Yeah, sure. Plus all the other mean words they said to each other. <laughs> yeah, that too. So the very last one is our Auntie Lydia. What did you think of that very little screen time she got? That was some like championship acting from Ann Dowd, first of all. Love it. Love her so much. The fact that she took a 19-day beating yeah. and came back to work 
basically because this is work. This I means she's yeah. in her uniform. Yep. She's in front of the commanders. Uh, they're saying you can go back and do your good works or, you know, that bullshit. And she's just taking it. You know, that is, oh man, I wish I could spill the beans on the, on the book, the Testaments a little bit. It gives a totally interesting and very different take on Lydia that you kind of want to be true, but given this scene can't be true. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, maybe as this as this uh, season is unfolding, you can you can give us some nuggets of that. You know what? I thought she was true to herself. I think that she is the same, absolutely solid, stalwart. Just she is a servant of this country, and she has remained so. And she has always had that level of like that little. Um, ooh, I want to call it like. Where she's looking at the men like, of course you're all in charge. But there's like that extra little like "Mm," (laughs) on it because she is probably smarter and she probably does know how to run things better than they do. But because she's a woman, she can't. So she's over here having to be like, when you find her and you haven't in 19 days, you bring her to me because like y'all can't get this done. But I'm not saying anything, my little old frail self. It wasn't me. I'm not saying anything. But when you complete your job, maybe you come back and talk to me. Like, she still has 19 days later, Paul. She's still that freaking spunky, you know? Like, I'm going to put it out there. I'm going to dish it up. She Well, she turned their words back on them, which is a great way to amp up a fight in normal situations she is just a formidable person and i am i'm a little scared of, uh, of i'm a, a lot Lydia scared still. because you know i've heard a lot of rumors and we're we're spoiler free here but i've heard a lot of rumors that you know how long can june be on the run how long can this all last and i am so scared of the day that we get lydia and june in the same room we have to we have to because that is just got to be you got to have those characters back in the same room again right that just that's just too good a writing to pass up if you take her at a word she is informed by and impelled by the word of god as Mm -hmm. translated through the sons of jacob right right but this seems to be pure vengeance oh this is personal paul yeah this is personal I mean, think of how much Lydia's gone through personally. Her own physical issues at this point were caused by handmaids. Like, she wants to settle the score. And June is the ringleader and has always been the ringleader. So what do you want to see in the next episode, Paul? Where are you hoping this goes? Well, I'd like to see more Canada. I think... I wouldn't be sad if the rest of the season, in fact, split time pretty evenly between what we're doing in Canada to support what's going on in Gilead or screwing the Waterfords or whatever. But I'd like to spend a lot of time there and then keep up with June's adventures with Mayday and, you know, however things turn out with the other handmaids. I specifically want to know more about Esther and if we can trust her, if we uh, can figure out what's going on with Commander Keese in terms of like, is this a safe place for these women to stay? You know, because we have such a strange read on him. 
and her for that matter, and the Guardian, that I'm like, I don't know. I don't know that these women are safe. Doesn't it feel like there could be like trap doors and crap in this house? Like they could be walking around all of a sudden one like falls down. There's like other people down there. Like it just feels like it feels like a like a horror story kind of house, you know, where just shit is going on that more than meets the eye feels like is happening up in here. And that I just don't get yet. So I, I'm interested to find out more about them. June's got to heal up and girl's got to, you know, she's shaking like about 50% of the time she's on screen. So I'm hoping that her body heals up. I'm with you wholeheartedly. I want to find out more about how the kids are doing. You know, we've got them over in Canada now. I want to find out for the Waterfords. Like, I want more meatiness there. I want to know what what Tuello's got on them and what he's going to be able to do. You know, like we're kind of we're kind of still at the point where he has been a side character for a long time. Just this like recurring guest. I really want him and like what they're all doing within the good forces, I guess. I want to know more about them. And not just focus on the Waterfords bickering with each other or messing with each other. But like what happens when the doors close and he goes into his office? Like, give me some conversations there. I want to know something about what's going on. And I want to know what Gilead's going to do about the fact that all these kids were stolen. Right. Are they dumb enough to invade Canada? I don't know. And if they are, because of Commander Lawrence now seemingly being able to consult with them in some way, are we going to find out more? Because that's been something that's been really lacking in the previous seasons, knowing the strategic moves of how Gilead really works, right? Like it's never been like a military show where we get to like know what their plans are, what the battle plans are, if you will, right? Mm -hmm, Right. I actually would be okay with them leaning into that and knowing more about like, what are the commanders sitting around talking about? And what are we going to learn, especially with Fred out of pocket, How are we going to learn those things? Hopefully through Lawrence. And Nick, maybe. Let's not forget Nick. He's got this wild card. Right. What side is he really on? No freaking clue. I mean, Gilead. (laughs) But Gilead, like, with an asterisk? (laughs) If you are listening to this and somehow happen to be some sort of military history expert... Man, I'd like to do an episode with you. Let me know. Just just comment on this somewhere. Say, Paul, I'd like to talk to you about it. Because strategically, the idea of this kind of remnant of the continental United States Army invading Canada, which ostensibly would be going up against the remains of the United States military, which might include a bunch of the Navy, right, from Hawaii. Right. Um. And then the the entire shared border with Canada, that would be impossible to try to defend both ways. What would this look like in terms of the viability of of that sustained war between those two nations, if that's the way it went? I'd really like to talk to somebody that knew their shit, (laughs) because I'm just thinking about it in action movie senses, but I'd really like to know. I really want the architect of Gilead to have some screen time where he explains how to handle things, where he gets to just talk to other commanders and we get to see that and be a part of it. I'm really crossing my fingers that we get into the heads so that it becomes Canada and we get into their heads of what's going on outside of Gilead and we get into the heads of what's going on from the strategic side of the commanders. And I'm hoping now we actually have more parts, like because the Waterfords went that way towards Canada and because Lawrence went into the inner sanctum and June is out in the country, I hope we actually get those three vantage points instead of just sticking with June. Definitely. Hoping, hoping, hoping. Definitely. 
Well, this has been a great episode, Paul. We're going to keep these short and sweet for you guys because they are a lot to digest. And we know that you will go to bed thinking about them. So this is Caroline. And this is Paul. Thank you so much for listening. And don't forget to please rate, review, and subscribe to Pod Clubhouse on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Five stars will help other people find the show. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you. Pod Clubhouse.